The Sunday Baroque podcast is made possible by WSHU and the Friends of Sunday Baroque. You can find out more about the Friends of Sunday Baroque and find out how to become one yourself by visiting our website, sundaybaroque.org, under the Contact tab. Virginia native Dawn Tynes is an opera singer, a bass baritone with degrees from Harvard University and the Juilliard School. His broad career includes international performances and leading roles in numerous world premieres of operas. He also co-created and starred in The Black Clown, a dramatic work adapted from the poem by Langston Hughes. And in 2020, he created and co-composed Vigil, a music video about Breonna Taylor that premiered on the Lincoln Center website and received its orchestral premiere by the Louisville Orchestra. Devon Tynes joins me on Zoom to talk about his life in music. Welcome. Hello. So this has been such an unusual time in the world. How have you been getting along during COVID? COVID has been such a unique time because I think it's one of the only times, at least in you know my life, that uh, everyone has had to be on a similar page. You know, it's a time when um, the universality of human experience is kind of brought to the fore and has been very revelatory for many different reasons in terms of, um, you know, socio um, economic or socio political, socio racial engagement, but also personal engagement and growth. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. How did you start in music? Are you from a musical family? Yeah, I've been singing ever since I was little. Um, everyone in my family sang growing up in the Black Baptist Church in Northern Virginia that I went to, Providence Baptist. And um, it wasn't an uncommon thing for people to be singing or playing the piano or um, just enjoying music generally. Um, I started playing violin when I was in sixth grade and uh, continued with that for a while. But I didn't know that I had a unique singing voice until my grandfather pointed it out when I was in high school. I was joking around singing operatically just for fun. And he said, well, you actually do that well. <laughs> you, should, you should check that out. So. Wow. Wow. Well, and that's great because that really was my next question because I, I was reading about you and I saw that many of the adults in your life, including as you're saying, your grandfather, but also your school orchestra director, really saw your extraordinary talent when you were quite young. But I also know that you considered several different career paths along the way. So when and how did you really know in your heart of hearts that music and singing are your life's work? Definitely. Um, I had a beautiful experience getting to know different aspects of musical performance throughout school, from high school to college, singing in the Renaissance Polyphony Choir there, but also the undergraduate opera program and also being in the Harvard Radcliffe Orchestra. Um, but I didn't know that it would be something I could pursue um, as a life passion or even career until sometime after I had left undergrad. Um, I worked for a number of different arts organizations. Um, I worked for the American Repertory Theater and for George Mason University and a, a national education nonprofit and had seen the arts from a lot of different angles and gave myself the challenge at a certain point of either formalizing all of that administrative experience and going to business school or... <laughs> 
um, trying for a conservatory. And um, I told myself if I got into a conservatory, I would go. And if I didn't, I'd figure it out with business. <laughs> and so um, I got into Juilliard and I took that as a sign that I should pursue it. I, I think this is probably a good time to point out that you got your under graduate degree from Harvard in sociology, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how did your interest in sociology shape your life and, and those career choices? Yeah, sociology has continued to play different hands in what I'm up to. I mean, at the very beginning, I was interested in it as a field of study because it is a way of engaging how the world is organized in terms of social movement or in terms of groups. You know, we're stuck in between economists who are looking at humans on the macro level and anthropologists looking on the micro level and sociologists are trying to say, well, how do these different scales of things interact? And interestingly enough, I continually find that frame of thinking evident in the work that I've been up to in classical music, even in thinking about why do cultures create and propagate certain cultural practices and what does it mean to engage identity in the context of those practices. So it's been very fun now to see a lot of my work as a continued sociological experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a, a performance on YouTube of you with a guitarist performing a, a really simple rendition of Old Man River, and it is captivating. Um, your voice is extraordinary. Your artistry is exquisite. It is, you perform it with such ease and such passion. And I think your musical passions just seem to be limitless. And, you know, from Baroque era music to this cutting edge contemporary music, like, where does that come from? Is this just is just just bubbling up from inside of you? What what? Where does that come from? Um, I think something that really invited me into a way of engaging different types of musical styles and aesthetics was growing up in a lot of different contexts. You know, growing up um, a black person in a predominantly white area, or coming from the Black Baptist Church, but making money singing in the Greek Orthodox Church or um, the National Shrine or National Cathedral, um, having a lot of different interactions between contexts kind of forced me to have to reconcile how all, the, how all of those things existed together and how myself as a single person existed in all of them. So in terms of music making, you know, all of these different angles of um, human culture have their own beautiful aesthetics and genre and I was exposed to all of them and so in going forward in my music making I find it really critical to allow myself to embrace all of that at the same time and um I, I really just enjoy the physical act of singing <laughs> it just feels great and it's really nice to be able to you know have that feeling come through many different modes and styles yeah now as I said you know there it, it... That's very evident in watching, for example, that one YouTube uh, clip of you. It's just, it is so, it's captivating. That's the only word I can think of. It's just so gorgeous. And uh, yeah. Uh, do you have, you know, all of this said, do you have any favorite composers or music? And, and you know, maybe why? What are, what are some of the things that you feel you are drawn to in particular? Um, I mean, I have a broad array of music that I love and love to listen to, but some factors <laughs> that um, I love to find are really instinctive employment of rhythm. 
um, you know, rhythm in ways that connect to Black gospel tradition, but also various types of um, contrapuntal drumming that even find themselves in Western African tradition. So, yeah, kind of polyrhythmic situations that get reinterpreted in all kinds of ways. Stravinsky does that in certain ways. John Adams does that in certain ways that I love, but also a certain... um yeah, color palette of harmonies that I tend to gravitate towards. Um, I kind of do ex- experience music synesthetically, meaning certain um, pitches and harmonies have certain colors. And I found that I tend to like things that are in the blue-purple kind of topaz <laughs> world. And what that might mean harmonically is things that are usually like diminished chords or leading or subdominant chords. Um, they tend to have the emotional thrust within music that moves it towards conclusion. So yeah, it's kind of a place of beautiful tension. And that's found a lot in, um, late romanticism, in early Schumann, in, um, a lot of French impressionism and also in gospel. At what point did you figure out that you had synesthesia? Um, I realized I had synesthesia when I started referring to note names as colors with a friend and just assume that everybody thought the same way. You know, isn't A major red for everybody? Isn't G major green? You know? But they say, wow. no, that's, that's unique. <laughs> wow. 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 Um, are there some roles that you're, you know, kind of eager to do that you haven't yet done yet? Yeah, I mean, I've been looking forward to doing a Don Giovanni for a very long time. And I knew that I didn't want to do it until I could do it incredibly. And, you know, it's a role that I think a lot of bass baritones um, aspire to. And coming from new music, I thought I needed to spend more time getting to know myself and my voice before trying to tackle something that is... um from the older canon, you know, um, I think there has to be a sort of clear reason, a clarity of vision for why you're drudging up things from the canon. And I think mm-hmm. now that I'm becoming more settled in my artistic perspective, I could take on that kind of role with a sort of um, hopefully ingenuity that will make it necessary. You're, now, you're also creating some uh, multimedia projects with some pretty urgently topical themes, such as your visual video about Breonna Taylor. How does music intersect with social justice for you? Music interacts with social justice just as much as anyone's life interacts with existing. I mean, I know that might sound very broad, but like by the very nature of us living in a society together, we are inherently political in our choices and how we group together and articulate those choices together. So my making a video that um, calls upon the tragedy of Breonna Taylor is simply myself making an artistic response to something I personally feel is very urgent. Yes, that could be scalable to social justice movements or political movement, but I also see it as, you know, the plea of myself, someone who feels the danger, the impending danger of inequality leading to unjust murder for myself and for my family, and speaking directly to that issue in order to um, provide survival or safety for myself or other people. So in that sense, if anybody or if any artist is honest about what they're engaging, it will inherently be political. And do you have some specific projects lined up for the future? One thing that uh, I started making with colleagues over the pandemic is a show titled Eastman about the life of Julius Eastman, composer, Um, someone who has been lesser known in the general classical musical canon, but in the past five to seven years has come to um, much more visibility. Um, I've been involved a little bit with the unearthing of this composer 
Hunter's work for some time. And um, it continues to be proven through, you know, worldwide festivals and think pieces and new um, rejuvenation of engagement of his work that this gay black man was pretty seminal in terms of moving classical music and minimalism forward. Um, he did a very genius thing of combining all of the contemporary elements of classical music with popular music and improvisation and jazz and really finding a way to create excitement <laughs> for people, joy out of that sort of music, but was ultimately pushed away because of his overt engagement of his identity. So a project has been to excavate this person's life and work and try to start to speak to the reasons for why someone, a genius like him, would be marginalized. And how do you tell that story effectively to an audience? Um, that piece we did in a workshop performance in New York about uh, two months ago, and we're really looking forward to further developing it. I think we're going to show a version of it at the Ojai Festival um, that'll be hosted by or um, curated by Amok, the American Modern Opera Company, some of my closest friends and collaborators. So that's that's one of a few things that are in the oven. Yeah, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. What, what, what else? What in general, um, music or otherwise, whatever? What are you passionate about? What are you most passionate about in this moment? Right now, I'm passionate about um, working to model the possibility of institutions engaging artists for the individuals that they are. Um, I've had the blessing and privilege of having a lot of agency in the work that I do, and it's allowed me to look behind the curtain of institutions and find how my own personal identity can be articulated with the help of the institution through the work that I do. And I think that this is a pathway that many artists would greatly benefit from and that art in general might benefit from, but is often not the purview of institutions that hold power. So I'm trying to, you know, look under the hood of the car and see what I can share about the blueprint with other artists and in turn also get to know institutions in a way for them to maybe more deeply realize their potential in serving humanity through the arts as opposed to being a kind of secondary purveyor or museum of cultural artifact. So I'm passionate about institutions, meaning what we've all agreed in contract to uphold, to um, actually uphold the individual. It's a form of mentorship, really. In a way. I mean, I, I, I would personally tend to not put it in the frame of mentorship because that, for me, um, is imbued with a, a certain patronization of the bodies that are being engaged, but rather wanting to engage both institution and individual in a way that realizes the potential of both. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to mentor an institution. I would love for the institution to itself realize as its better potential. And mm -hmm. I'm not trying to tell any artist what to do, but by example, show the possibility of changing the system that is. So in essence, that's, that's different than mentorship in that I hope it's more active. I hope that I'm actually having an impactful effort as opposed to a guiding effort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I have been speaking with the acclaimed bass baritone Devon Tynes about his remarkable life in music. At this moment, so many more things that we'll have to, we'll have to talk again in, you know, maybe a few months and see where, where you're at at that point. Um, but thank you so very much for your time. Thank you. There's an old man called the Mississippi. That's the old man that I'd like to be. What does he care if the world's got troubles? What does he care 
if the land ain't free. Oh. 